This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. 91 listed on both the JSE and the LSE on Monday. It's been a long, long process as the company formerly known as Investec Asset Management unbundled or demerged from Investec. And with me now is the brand new CEO of 91, and that's Hendrik de Toy speaking to me from London. Hendrik, it's, it's been a hell of a process, hasn't it? And when I was thinking about it and reading articles about it, I thought to myself, first of all, you and your team must have an enormous sense of pride. And you yourself, having been there from the beginning in 1991, you must have an almost sort of patriarchal emotion to what has happened. Lindsay, good morning. And yes, first, it's, a, it's wonderful to be called brand new after a very tiring process and a week, yes. and also 29 years at what was Investec Asset Management and now 91, it is a wonderful feeling to be able to take the next logical step in the development of the business with the support of our shareholders and our clients. And, of course, quite a lot of excitement from the people who work in the business and who built the business and condi- in spite of the conditions we're in at the moment. Yes, and I think you must be congratulated for going ahead with listings because I've seen it before during periods of market turbulence. And when I say turbulence, I mean turbulence to the downside. There have been listings in the past that have been postponed. And personally, I think that probably sends the wrong message and you didn't succumb to those pressures. I think it was easier for us, Lindsay, in the sense that this was part of a logical, strategic process uh, for the entire Investec group. And we didn't want to create any uncertainty with clients, with staff, and our shareholders about the seriousness of our intent. Secondly, we were we had no interest in raising capital. We weren't selling shares or taking in capital. And from a management point of view, we see this as an opportunity which lifts the cap on our ownership. Remember, we had a 20% cap on ownership. We can now invest further and invest more in the business and give all our people access to shares. And, and, you know, the market in this sense has been our friend. It has. Tell me about the process that led up to this, because it hasn't been just a few weeks or a few months in the making. It's been a strategic review initiated by you and your co-CEO at, at Investec over that period. When did it suddenly become apparent that this was a logical step? It was part of a transition at Investec from the founder leadership of Stephen Kossoff and Bernard Cantor when the board asked Farney and, and I to go and not only step up as joint chief executives, and then I really, I never applied for a job there, but I realized Investec needed a strategic rethink. We asked the board a few months to just do the work and review the business, and we came to a conclusion that it was firstly value trapped in the investing structure and the business was too complex and that too many medium-sized rather than scaled businesses. The way to address that is to focus the businesses or firstly simplify the businesses, then focus them and establish the platform for growth. An additional thing we added was capital discipline. You would have noticed no further shares had been issued 
And in fact, the number of shares for both organizations would, or, or the, the investing organization would now have peaked. And I think that's part of a journey that market conditions come and go. And clearly, we've been in very tough economic conditions for the banking side. Finally gave an update this morning to, to the market. And the asset manager had a very, very good uh, supportive conditions until this quarter. So, uh, you know, market conditions, irrespective, this was a sensible move. And I think particularly for 91, the opportunity to compete as an independent always enhances your position with large institutional clients around the world. And the opportunity to expand management participation in the business improves alignment and therefore makes the proposition stronger, particularly from a talent attraction and retention point of view. Indeed. We'll come to that later and as well as the importance of independence. But I remember on the Taking Stock Roadshow last year, the message that was being sent out there by certain speakers was that Although Investec Asset Management was becoming 91 and was demerging from Investec, that didn't mean it was going to become a boutique operator, a, a boutique wealth manager, asset manager rather. It was definitely going to compete, but as a medium-sized asset manager, despite the fact that in some quarters that was deemed to be unfashionable and not giving you critical mass. What would you say to that? It's still unfashionable because the sort of very simplistic thought of many market commentators is that you have to be either a, a monstrous giant to be able to compete or a very, very focused boutique. Now, I, I myself, you know, I, I respect many of the great boutiques, but they have limits to growth and development that they may choose to do so and can do so very well. I think the idea that size per se is a competitive advantage in anything but the index business is entirely flawed. You would see in this business the benefits of scale are oversold. What you do need, though, is a minimum scale, and I think 91 has that. It has the scale to compete in the large markets in the world. It has the sophistication. It has the technology and the manpower to service very demanding, very sophisticated clients um, and the platform to attract additional smart people because this is a, is a people's business. But I don't think uh, if we added 50% to our business, we would necessarily be vastly better business. We would be a more profitable and a larger business, but not a vastly better business because ultimately for us, it's about delivering returns for clients. And I'm very proud to say in the South African market, you'd have noticed more recently, we've been winning lots of awards for best large manager and you know, our since inception track records, uh, you know, are, are something to be proud of. And, and we've done that at being pretty large, not just a boutique. On the other hand, we're not too large to deal with. So I'm very comfortable with our size and, and our opportunities to grow. If we were a trillion and a half dollar active manager today, I would be slightly concerned where is my, where can the growth come from? In our case, we can see lots of growth in a maturing, highly competitive industry as long as we deliver well. For us, it's performance, it's client appetite, and our ability to engage with clients that limit us, not our size. When it comes to the ability to attract and keep talented people. I mean, your testament to that, of course, because you've been there since 1991 and we've had many chats over the years. And I'm still chatting to people today that I was chatting to 10 years ago. So you already have that culture there, but you're hoping to build on it, I would have thought. 
I think it's really important for us and uh, thank you for the compliment, but that's not, it's not my talent. It's actually the talent of the people we've hired over time. One must always hire better people than you and have the confidence to do that. So I'm very confident that we have excellent people in our business and continue to attract them. And the reason is we provide a place where people could do, follow their passion, in other words, invest clients' money or look after clients in a way where they are recognized as individuals, albeit in team context. We don't have a business where we chop and change every six months, where we treat people just like just as part of a cost line. We actually provide a home for talented individuals to achieve something from and a base to achieve from. And I think that's the difference. And, and, and we've worked very hard and continue to work hard in our culture because I think that's the differentiating part between uh, various professional services organizations, including asset managers. Um, and so for us, it's about people. It's about giving people opportunity, but also asking people to aim high. Because if you just do something which is in your comfort zone every day, life can become very boring or be profitable. Tell me about the importance of independence. Has the importance of independence grown over the years? You mentioned earlier on, you know, you get the support of institutions worldwide. Was it the case that because of your association with Investec, the bank and the wealth manager, that certain potential clients might look at that a little bit askance? Was that becoming evident? I would say we dealt with that bit very early in our development in South Africa. And Investec, in that sense, was a great owner because Stephen Kossif and particularly understood that and gave us our own space. And in the South African market, actually, everyone understood that we operated independently. In the rest of the world, particularly around the banking crisis, you know, the financial crisis, we have spent an enormous amount of time explaining and that's why we also did the management buy-in, so we could say management are part owners with a financial institution as opposed to pure employees post the crisis. Uh, you spend time explaining the risk of conflict, even though there was no risk, and even though Investec was a very supportive and, and good owner. But in the end, the true first league players are either those that are – not completely focused on asset management with a high degree of employee ownership or those which are integrated in a vast financial organization which gives them a uh, huge distribution. In the Investec case, that wasn't po possible. Investec represented less than 2% of the 91 assets under management and therefore you got neither the benefits of distribution nor the simplicity and clarity of being a focused ultimately employee-directed organizations. So we just said next step, particularly as one gets to transition of generations, because we have a great relationship with the people in Investec. Who knows what happens in 10 years down the line, and then there could be value risk. So we were trying to plan for the future, finally, and I, and I think that's why we came to our conclusions. Yeah, so it was amicable and logical. That makes and it makes complete sense. What is the focus going to be from now on? Because although it's still a company that's been in place since 1991, with the newfound independence, there must be a new focus and or uh, an embellishing, let's put it that way, of the focus that you've had for so long. And I particularly refer now to your commitment to being uh, continue to be an active manager. And secondly, your 
I suppose your leadership, I've always thought of you as a leader when it comes to ESG matters, environmental, social, governance, climate change, etc. Is that going to be a continued and even more um, serious focus? Lindsay, I, I think it's important to note that even though our name changed on Monday, we are on the same growth path that we've explained to the market and to our clients over the last few years. A key factor for us is three really important growth vectors. The one is our efforts in North America. That is, the, that is half the world's money. And we have been growing our institutional footprint there as Americans. And, and after this episode, definitely, I expect this will be enhanced as they spread their capital across the world. There's an opportunity for a manager like us who provides global and emerging market services at a high standard. We also very excited about strengthening our relationships with global financial institutions, which effectively distribute our mutual funds. We've, we've done our time. We're well known in the industry now, and we know the people in those institutions, and we have the necessary offer that will be attractive to them. So we'll be growing that part. And finally, you cannot in the next 20 years, there are two things you have to get right. The one is China and the other one is sustainability. The world has changed radically since the trade war started, but China is still the world's second largest market and will be the largest economy in in our management horizon. And therefore, uh, we really need to continue to focus on that area and make sure we have competent or good product where we have an excellent equity product investing in China, but also see how we build relationships with Chinese financial institutions. And on top of that, our two home markets, South Africa and the UK, in spite of the weak economies, there is ample space to grow relative to competitors. And one of the key differentiators in the long run will be those who embrace sustainability across their entire business. And so it's ESG, it's sustainability and ultimately impact. And those are areas we focus on and work very hard. I'm not going to talk about individual products now, but I'm talking about a mindset and I'm talking about a commitment, which I think will be vital in the years to come because the world is not going to stand for businesses which, which ignore the major challenge faced by humanity, particularly after, the I think, the coronavirus experience where we've realized our combined or our interlinked humanity is much more important than short-term gain. And I think the world is learning this right now. On that note, and uh, the very final question, on COVID-19 or the coronavirus, uh, how's it affecting your day-to-day operations? I know, for example, that so many companies are now encouraging their workforce, their talent to stay at home and work from home, but that's had an unintended negative consequence because of the broadband demand in Europe has now had to be adjusted by a company called Netflix, which is going from high definition down to standard definition in order to free up bandwidth. What are you doing at 91? Firstly, we have the experience from our Hong Kong office, which has been coping previously with SARS, but more recently with COVID-19 and a massive disruptions because of the politics there. That's really helped us. Uh, we have prepared and people, most of our people can work effectively from home. I was in the London office yesterday. It was nearly empty. Cape Town has been pretty empty now. Johannesburg, we it was more difficult because, of, again, the 
quality of personal broadband people have. But uh, in the U.S., we've operated completely uh, uh, you know, fr- from home now. So, But it's not just the, whether you get broadband. It's how do you actually run a business? How do you communicate? We're learning things every day. Um, our uh, organization development team has been very, very busy at, at helping teams cope. However, our businesses cope. People have invested money. We're engaging with clients, but in a different way. Because when travel's off, how do you do it? You can't just flood your clients with, with emails. You have to find a way. And that's what we're learning and, and sharing about now. But I must say, I was very, uh, 10 out of 10 to our technology people and our facilities people who have managed to keep the shop going without any interruption or disruption. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned longer term about the psychological impact of this or the, the impact on teamwork as people physically distance themselves. So in the end, uh, work, the world of work has changed and we as managers are learning as we face this crisis. I don't think we've got all the answers at this point. Hendrik, thank you very much for your time, your extended time this morning. And once again, many congratulations for the listing. That's Hendrik Tatoy, the CEO of 91.